是台湾人，台湾人，台湾人。Welcome to Taiwan Yuan, your global community of Taiwanese makers, innovators, and advocates. I'm your co-host Cindy, and I'm your other co-host Esther. As part of this season's focus on food, we sat down with Young Cheng, the CEO of Asha Foods USA. They bring us the delicious Asha noodles. We chat with Young about his own Taiwanese American upbringing in Minnesota, what eventually compelled him to launch Asha in the U.S. And finally, what makes the Asha product stand out in the sea of instant ramen? Cindy, let's get into it and eat some noodles. Hi, Young. Tell us about yourself and your connection to Taiwan. So, my connection to Taiwan. My parents are both from Taiwan, and they are first generation to the U.S. So, I was born in the States, but my connection to Taiwan always was through my parents, first and foremost. Just growing up, having their experiences from Taiwan, and the culture was always from my parents. And my grandparents are from Taiwan as well, and my ex-wife was also from Taiwan. So I have a lot of connections into Taiwan, which is kind of weird because I was technically just born in the states and an American、mm-hmm. born Chinese, but I do actually have a lot of connections back to Taiwan. And of course, my connection with Taiwan is、uh, only getting deeper and deeper. That's awesome, and I I know that. You grew up in Minnesota too, of all places, which probably isn't as diverse as some of the other cities. So, what was that experience like for you growing up? That experience was very—I would say—I almost felt like I lived in the dark for like twelve years because when I was growing up in Minnesota, I was born and raised there. So, my world pretty much was kind of like my surrounding and my environment. So, as a child, as growing up, I didn't know that there was other Asian people. Actually, in the world, I actually thought that I was the only one. And you know, kind of growing up, it was like me and my sister were the only two. Forget about Taiwanese; we're the only like Asians in our school. So I really, really thought that that was it. Like we were just like the only odd ones. So I think it wasn't until like when I moved to California that we realized that、yeah. wow, there's actually a lot of Asian, a lot of Chinese, and a lot of Taiwanese living in the world. Living in America, and so I don't know. I think a lot of my experience, like I definitely changed a lot. I feel like I grew up a lot after I moved away from Minnesota because when I was in Minnesota, I was just like a regular American、uh-huh. person that just looked different. I was, you know, not only looked different, but like you know, my parents, like we spoke different languages. Like English was my second language, even growing in Minnesota because my parents only spoke Chinese at home. It's really weird because like I don't know what would happen to me if I would have stayed in Minnesota this whole time. I probably would have been a much different person, but I think when you're in your environment, you're like a product of your environment. But when when you move out, is really when you start to see and when you start to realize、um, kind of all the different things that happened. And so this year in May it was API Month, right? So with the pandemic and with all the anti Asian American Pacific Islander stuff going on, Asha really wanted to step up and be a leader for the community. And so I shared a lot of these experiences throughout that whole process. We did this. In conjunction with the Los Angeles City Mayor, with their office, so there was a lot of public events and things like that promoting Asian businesses, Asian cultures, and I think like you know a lot of the stories that I shared was a lot about you know racism and being different and things like that, and I didn't know any better. I really didn't know between age zero and age twelve 
Yeah. I really thought I was just normal like everyone else. I found that to be kind of the funny thing because Minnesota is actually the more homogeneous area, right? It's primarily all Americans and it's not as diverse as, say, San Jose uh, in the Bay Area where we moved to. But a lot of the quote unquote racism and discrimination and things like that didn't really start to happen. And I didn't really feel it until I actually came into a more diverse area. So I always thought that was a very interesting thing. And I think maybe a lot of people that kind of have the similar background as me, whereas we were maybe born into a Midwestern state or somewhere where it's not as diverse, maybe they had the same experience that I had. Wow, thank you for sharing that. I've never thought of it that way. I did read once that diversity or healthy diversity is more achieved when you have equal representation among the groups. So potentially too, you know, when it's not balanced, that could cause a lot of that kind of conflict. Thank you for sharing that. Just one more question about California, because you said that that's when you've been open to more of that Asian culture presence. Was there a specific eye-opening moment for you about your Asian identity? Yeah, I mean, there actually was. So unfortunately, it's it's a it's kind of a negative thing. But I remember the first time that I was called a derogatory term. Oh. It happened when like a car was driving by and someone yelled something at me and at a group of friends. And I didn't know anything. I felt zero. And I just kept going about whatever. And it wasn't until my friend next to me was like, you know that they were talking about us, right? And I had no idea because I didn't know what it was. But then actually, when I thought about it, I could start to recollect times in my past when I was in Minnesota, where those words and those kinds of feelings came up. And I was like, okay, that's what it was. All those times, zero to 12, I didn't know that that was racism. I really didn't know. And But at that moment that that happened, it was like probably the first week that I arrived and, you know, came over, went to school right away. And then it hit me and I was like, okay. So I had actually been experiencing racism all my life, but I had no idea what it was. So I guess it's just like, I mean, it's just that awakening and the awareness where when you don't know that's racism, it doesn't affect you. But once you know it is, then it affects you in a totally different way. It's a really weird thing, but that was definitely the moment because that happened at age 13. I'm 44 now. I can still remember that day exactly when it happened and all the different feelings and all the different thoughts that I had in my head. Wow. So well said. Once you know some things, you definitely you know can't unknow it. You can't go back. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And all of your, I grew up in Illinois. So a lot of your story has resonated with me. And like, definitely as I've gotten older, I think back, I'm like, I was like the only Asian girl in the preschool, kindergarten I was in. Did I not have friends because... I was Asian, <laughs> like, or was it something else? Yeah, like, I, you know, like, you think about it a lot. This has been great to hear more about, like, your upbringing, your background, and I want to pivot our conversation a little bit. We know you're the founder, one of the co-founders of Asha Noodles. What started it all? Yeah, I mean, I think Asha in itself, I mean, as you guys probably know, the brand has been around since 1977. So it's been in Taiwan, you know, Actually, that was the year of my birth. So it's been around the same amount of years as I've been around. And the thing is, like, this product has been in Taiwan doing its thing in Taiwan for so long. For me now being in the industry and having kind of taken on this challenge and bringing it over, I realized that like Taiwanese brands and Taiwanese culture, there's a lot to offer. And they needed someone like me who was born here that understands the U.S. market and the U.S. community. To be able to say, okay, I have this amazing thing, but I know growing up in the U.S., 
I've never seen this thing, this thing like we call ganmian, right? It's very common for Chinese people, but for Americans, I'm looking at from the inside point of view, growing up in the U.S., I never saw ramen like this. I only saw ramen that was soup-based and it was deep fried and it was primarily Korean, Japanese, mm-hmm. right? So I knew right away where the challenges were because I grew up in this environment and now I'm taking a very ethnic, authentic thing in trying to bring it over to the U.S. I think that challenge still exists today with many products, right? I think we saw it with boba. I mean, we probably knew about boba milk tea, like, I don't know, 20 years ago. But now you see in the last two, three years, finally, it's caught on. Finally, someone has been able to break through and let American people, and that includes me too, in a more micro view of our company, that's exactly the same challenge that we had. And, um, you know, when we brought it over, it was all Chinese. It was all written in Chinese. And the flavors, the flavor profile was like sata and stuff like that. This is not stuff that Americans are going to eat, right? So we had to tweak. We had to say, all right, this is probably not the right flavor that we want to lead with. You want to lead with something probably a little more neutral, like yuan wei, which is basically soy sauce, sesame oil. That's something that everyone can accept, right? So we had to kind of make that decision we lost a lot of good products along the way because, you know, you have to take baby steps and you have to know who your target audience is and know what they're willing to accept. And then, you know, if you look at the original packaging that we had in 2013 versus the packaging that we have now, I mean, you almost cannot tell it's the same company. We changed the logo. We changed the look and feel. We changed everything about it so that it kind of fits into this environment, right? But at the core of the product, the product itself, the actual noodle, how we make the noodle, how we make the sauce never changed. So that recipe and that's the craft part, the artisanal part about the product is always remained true to a real Taiwanese product. I've never heard anyone talk about ganmian so passionately. So this is, <laughs> this is <sad>. not, <laughs> no, no, it's great. It's a delicious thing that a lot of people, like you say, still don't know about. Um, so Cindy and I, we were curious though, because you talk about ganmian like it's your, your craft. But when you first started Asha Noodles, we read that you turned down your brother three times when he asked you to start the company. What made you change your mind? Yeah, I mean, because for me, I graduated college in 2000. So at that time, it was like the internet. That was the prime time of the internet. And everyone was in IT. I was also in IT. You know, I worked corporate for like 18 years. So I was with like IBM, PwC, Cisco, Disney, Warner Bros, all like Fortune 100 companies. And I was doing that. That was my career. And I think I was doing really good at that career. But, you know, at some point, I guess the higher calling came around, right? And, you know, when this opportunity came from my brother-in-law, like, I like very many, I said, you know, I'm not, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm very comfortable in my job and I'm very happy with my career. Back then I was 30 something. So kind of like on the, on the uprise of my career. So I didn't really want to take any risk. I kind of did that. I put him off for like, probably a good two, three years. Finally, I think in learning more about the product and also going back to Taiwan, and I started learning more about the culture and learning more about the product. And then it was like, kind of like, not to sound too like spiritual about it, but I think there was a, at some point there was a higher calling. It was like pride in our culture was through food. It was actually a little bit before 2015. Like that was when I kind of agreed to start to import the product and just kind of test it out and see how it did. And it kept doing better and better. And then finally in 2015, that was the time when 
we had to make the decision to either we treat it as a serious business and really kind of go all in on it, or it always just remains a hobby and a side business. So, um, so in 2015, finally, we made the decision and I quit my job. And that was really the, I guess, the starting point to this business. And I mean, for the record, I don't think there's anything wrong with being spiritual. Because <laughs> I really think, you know, it, you need that that feeling of, um, like you're saying, feeling purpose-driven or mission-driven to help you get through the hard times. Yep. Um, and speaking of the hard times, you talked about that you were in a whole other industry beforehand. So you jumped into this challenge with very little knowledge. And it's a tough business, like you were saying, trying to sell Taiwanese product. Taiwan is still relatively unknown to America. So trying to sell that product in America, on top of that, you don't have that industry knowledge. So the early days, I can imagine, must have been so challenging. How did you get through that time? Yeah, I mean, you're totally right. It was super, super challenging. And um, I think, you know, when we came in, like, we had a, you know, like I said, we had a good product. And People from Taiwan knew the product, but again, there's like probably, I mean, Taiwan has a very small population in the grand scheme of things. And then how much of that population is living in the U.S.? It's even smaller, right? So we could definitely rely on the Taiwanese brand name. But for us to be able to succeed here, like we had to go up against Cup Noodle, right? The uh, Shin Ramen, right? These are all like the godfathers of ramen in the US. And these were the ones that have been here for 30, 40 years. And it's so hard to break into their market. But for us, I think we always had a very clear strategy, which was that we're always going to rely on the product. Like we couldn't rely on gimmicky kind of marketing things because I think those things are so difficult to compete. And because we had such a good product, we knew we had something different. Our product is air dried, which is different. Our product is no soup, which is different. Our product is from Taiwan, which is different. And so those three things alone was enough of a differentiator for us to just go forward. And then along the way, we started realizing other things that even we didn't know. The market kind of told us what they wanted. The type of flour that we use is like the highest, highest quality flour. So each pack of noodle yields um, 11 grams of protein. And Point of reference, like a beef jerky steak is 14 grams of protein. And so the protein yield is extremely high. And so, you know, as people started getting healthier and the protein craze started happening, we suddenly realized that we have a very high protein yielding product. And that was something that we kind of learned later, but we started marketing towards, oh, well, we have high protein. And then many, many years later, impossible foods beyond meats came out in plant-based protein suddenly became the rage and well our product is all vegan so now we have not only high protein yield we also have high plant-based protein yield right so i think these are the things that always allowed us to keep adapting and we learned along the way so our company always stayed very agile in the sense that We never were fixed that we can only go down one path. We never say no to anything and any path can be explored. Certainly certain paths yield better results than others. So we always are willing to be on the forefront and always willing to challenge ourselves to do better and always willing to compete. Mm -hmm. We don't have that industry experience, so we don't know the right way to do it. So for us, 
we know business, we know branding, we know marketing. So that's the way we went approached it. Whatever the product needed, whatever the job needed, we did it. And we did whatever was necessary to make the product succeed versus, oh, you know, you have to go follow this format. You have to get into a local supplier and then you move to regional and then you go national, right? That's the typical or nowadays the model is you have to go D to C and sell online first. We didn't do any of that stuff because we just went with what we thought was the right way to to get our product as fast as possible into the hands of consumers and try to promote some of those differentiating factors. I love that. Make your own playbook. Yeah. And I can't wait to tell my partner about the protein. Now he'll be <laughs> eating all of the noodles. Yes. One more question on your own strategy. How did you get your foot in the door with that first distributor? Yeah. So this this is kind of, you know, you kind of alluded to the dark days of the business when we were first starting. So the beginning was not easy. I mean, we were really climbing uphill every day, trying to get someone's attention, just trying to get noticed by anybody. I think the first kind of major break that we got was there's this gentleman in Seattle called the Ramen Raider. And he rates all the ramen noodles in the world. And every year he publishes a top 10 list. So we started researching more and we realized he had top 10 lists for different countries. So he had like Japanese, Korean, Chinese. He didn't have a list from Taiwan. So we contacted him right away and we sent him all of our samples and we said, all right, We saw your list. We love it. But we feel that you missed not only a brand, you missed the whole country in Taiwan. So we gave it to him and he was so impressed by our noodle. He created the top 10 list for Taiwan that year. And of course, Asha was number one on that list, but that was in 2013. So now since 2013, every year he has a Taiwan top 10 list now. And that was when Taiwan really kind of was at least on his map. You know, you talk about like my passion for Gaimian. This guy has, talk about passion. This guy is passionate about instant noodle. He literally eats every single one. He rates them. He ta- tells the good good stuff, the bad stuff. And so for us to have that, like if, if there ever was an industry expert, he's probably the one, right? So we were able to use that number one ranking on all of our marketing, all of our all of our presentations. And so when we at least went to the potential buyers, we could say we're the number one noodle from Taiwan. And when they ask you, why are you number one? Look at this rating. If you can find another person or entity or company that's rating every single ramen noodle that gives us a lower rating, then fine, we're not number one. But as of today, we are number one, according to the ramen rater. Our first big break was with Albertson Safeway family. They're like the number one by store, I think, um, grocer in the US. Mm-hmm. And so that was the first big break that we got with them. And they were the first ones to take a chance on us and put us on the shelf. Wow. Got your own Michelin star. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. From top 10 lists to what you have a uh, partnerships with Momofuku and Hello Kitty. Yeah. Uh, Cindy and I were like, Hello Kitty. That's yeah. Incredible. Yeah. I, so we've been blessed. Amazing. Like, is there one moment in this journey that you're like, this is just the most unbelievable, magical experience? You know, I think this is going to sound really, really stupid when I say this, but I've been saying it for a while now, so I got to stick to my story. But I think the moment that I realized that that we finally did something was, so a buddy of mine, he went to a wedding and um, this was like four or five years ago. He went to a wedding and then I happened to see him at another place and then he goes, oh, you'll never believe this. So I was at 
XYZ's wedding the other day. And during the best man speech, the guy was speaking. And then at the end of the speech, he said, you know, I can't wait for the next opportunity that we can have a beer and an Asha noodle again. I tell you that one story, like it just, it made my, it made my day, made my year, made my everything. I told my partner that story and he like, of all the things that's happened to us, like we made, you know, Inc. Magazine's top 500 fastest growing companies, like three years in a row. That one story was the one that, that got all of us because we finally realized we got it. And I was like, wow, we made it. We, we, now we've made it, you know? So it's just those small moments. I mean, it's like, we're not a nonprofit, like it's a business, but I think those small moments, those unprompted, random, random moments are the ones that really get to us. And it makes us appreciate what we're doing, that we're actually affecting people's lives and like people are starting to recognize the brand. That's incredible. You're not going to believe this. So the way I discovered Asha Noodles is my cousin Jennifer fed me a bowl. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was just like, you made this? <laughs> because she's not the best. Well, I mean, she didn't used to cook. Right. So I was just in disbelief that it tasted so good. And this is something that she makes almost every day. It's just so easy for her. She makes some noodles and then adds a fried egg on top. Yeah, that's so awesome. We love that. That's so much better than when you saw an Instagram ad and you figured it out. It's like someone that you trust, someone in your inner circle actually fed it to you. And that's when you became a fan. That's Those are really the best moments. Yeah. And to me, I mean, you can quote me on this too. That's the biggest difference between Asha and Shin Ramen. Because for me, a Shin Ramen is something that's a drunk meal, <laughs> <laughs> snack. But this is also something I would serve to other people. Oh, you know, that's it. the difference to me. Yes, yes. Oh. I, I, can we can we use that later? <laughs> <laughs> you don't just taste good when you're drunk. <laughs> I, I know ramen raider, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's time to take a little noodle break. We yeah. made Cindy. Oh. I made the noodles before hopping yeah, online. Awesome. <laughs> and this smells like killing me because it smells so good. And it's just like wafting through the house. So I'm trying for our listeners to know, I'm trying the signature Mandarin style noodle with the original soy sauce. Okay. And Cindy's trying, yeah, the yam way. And okay. Cindy's trying the meteor noodles with fried sauce. Oh, nice. Yon, did you want to talk a little about what these noodles are like and or the flavor specifically? Yeah, sure. So Esther, the one you're trying is our, that's our hero item. So worldwide, number one, that's the one that's everywhere. And that noodle that you're trying right now made us who we are today. Oh. It's putting my kid through college. So oh my God, <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's the iconic one. And then, so Cindy, the one that you're trying is, I would say the 2.0 version. This is the, this is the noodle that's going to take us into the future. And our future business is going to be Heavily, heavily reliant on that one that you're trying right there. Oh my god! I'm like, I, I have to say, a lot that. of responsibility. <laughs> yes. Okay, I feel bad because I picked it. It's called Meteor Noodles Liu Xing Fan Mian. Because I was like, is this something dedicated to Meteor Garden, the show? Right. Which is my favorite show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. So the thing about the Meteor Noodle, I'll just tell you real quickly, is that you know when we're looking for ways to innovate the noodle. So the one that Esther's eating is it's a traditional one. The traditional noodle is like the noodle is pushed through a machine. The knife blade cuts it and it, it cuts the makes the different noodle cuts. The difference with the uh, meteor noodle is that 
we actually added a second blade onto the machine so that there's a 3D effect. So when the noodle gets cut, it actually has a 3D shape. So that 3D shape is actually a star shape. You know, we use like Liu Xingmian. So, and it does have reference because I think meteor, like, I don't know, I think maybe this might be an Asian thing or a Taiwanese thing, but the shooting star always is like very symbolic when it comes to like romance, right? Like in every drama, every movie, like when, <laughs> when the two people like have that moment and that, that big kiss, there's always a shooting star going across their background, right? So I think that we definitely tried to play off that whole you know, romantic notion of the meteor noodle. And actually, when we brought it to the States first, you know, it was always called meteor noodle. And we kind of explained that story. I explained the star shape and I explained the 3D. And in the end, it was like every buyer, everyone that we talked to said, just keep it the original, the meteor. Like that, that one sounds the best, right? <laughs> All right. I'm going to take a bite and give my live reaction. <laughs> yeah, it just feels it's, uh, like I, I've, we've been waiting what couple minutes now and it still smells like I just opened the packet. So like that zima, yo, that sesame oil is so fragrant, which is incredible because this is like, you can put it on your shelf. Like you don't have to cook it right away when you buy it. Yeah, that's, that's totally right. And then Cindy, the point about your, was it your cousin that made it for you? Jennifer, yeah. that was fun. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the whole thing is, is that, you know, we, we want our customers to be able to make something real, make something authentic and make something of restaurant quality that they can easily do at home. Right. And so I'm glad that at least for you, that that message got through. And I think, you know, working with like Dave Chang from Momofuku and things like that, like that really validates our product because it's like, he's a Michelin rated chef. And he's got so many successful restaurants. And then of all the noodle manufacturers, he chose us to work with. And it's kind of a weird combo, right? Because, you know, if you talk about, again, talking about culture, he's making Japanese ramen. Typically, he's a Korean American, yet he's partnering with the Taiwanese ramen company to make his packaged goods, right? So it's this whole, like, just finding the best in class, best of the best, really validates that for us that, yes, we are indeed restaurant quality. At least Dave Chang thinks so. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can come together, combine our powers. <laughs> How does it taste? I, well, I love it. I already like Ganmian to begin with, but this is like, I don't know, am I like back in Taiwan in a Lubyan <laughs> tent, like just kicking it back, eating some noodles with like my family? It's just, it feels so fresh, which is amazing. And it feels like, like what Cindy's saying, it doesn't feel like a Shin ramen, which is a little more oily. No offense to Shin, but it's like truly... I love the texture of the noodle. It has the right chewiness and the flavor is just so great. It's a classic for a reason. Cindy, how about you? How's your meteor meteor noodles? It's so chewy. (laughs) It's like, at first it looks like a pasta. I'm not going to lie. It tastes like a tao xiao mian. And I think maybe that's the point. Yes, exactly. Because, you know, we're always trying to innovate ramen noodle, but it's very difficult because it's like, Ramen noodle has always been the same. But when you think about like pasta, there's so many different pastas. Why is there only one type of ramen noodle? So we kind of looked at it that way. And I think that meteor noodle is very similar to like an Italian, uh, what they call bucatini noodle, right? So it's got kind of like the more tubular shape. There's a lot of dimensions. And with all the different cuts in the surface area, it kind of grips the sauce differently. So the bite, the flavor, the chew is completely different. And... And why this meteor noodle is so important to us is because 
We work with so many different executive chefs from like Momofuku. We work with a lot of restaurants as well. Every single one that's tried the meteor noodle has been like completely blown away. Let them feel that emotional connection like, oh, that's what's different. And, you know, it's different for every person, right? So... As you were talking, it was getting more and more delicious. <laughs> all these things. I'm like, oh my God, it's so good. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you yeah. so much. I'm sure our factory and R&D team will be happy to hear that because they really put in a lot of time and trying to, you know, architect the next best noodle and the next best flavor and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm sending this to my parents for sure. I'm just going to show you guys. Like, I don't like when all my soy sauce gets to the bottom. So your last bites are so salty. Like yeah. you're saying, a young all of the sauce is part of the noodle. So there's like yeah. no soup base or soy sauce base down there. It's like perfect. Yeah. That's the it. noodle is, um, because it's air dried, so the noodle will keep absorbing moisture. Mm. So basically whatever you put into it, like sometimes we have people that put broth, they do a broth noodle, mm-hmm. and then the noodle tastes so good because the noodle keeps absorbing the broth. So every bite of noodle almost has a lot of the moisture inside already. Yeah. And I totally want to try, like not right now, but a meat sauce on it or a tomato sauce, a ragu. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. That's the part that's so interesting, right? When, because we provide a platform, we provide like kind of the entry level, but then when different chefs and different families and people make it for their kids and like, we have other customers that are like, oh my, you know, they'll come up to us and say, you know, my son or daughter, they love the noodle. And all I do is I put some butter into it and it becomes like a butter noodle, right? So it's just like all these different variations and different fusion type foods. I think they're so interesting. And that's, that's again, not to sound all like political and with culture and all that, but that's when the two cultures, different cultures are really coming together and starting to, starting to like boil together and melt together. I'm so happy you made that move, as scary as it may have been back then for you. Now we have noodles in our homes. I guess if we were to learn anything from your story, especially for the Asian American entrepreneurs, what do you want them to take away from your story? I think the most important thing is that if Asha can start from nothing and make it and become something, then everyone else can do it too. Because for us, we're just regular people like everyone else. We want to inspire. As I mentioned earlier, we are a for-profit business, so making money is important to us. But I think there's different types of money. I think what we're after right now is we're seeking fame. And, and what I mean by that is that we want people to not only know that we're a ramen noodle and that it tastes good, but we want them to know that it's a ramen noodle from Taiwan. It was made with a very traditional recipe. We never left that recipe. That recipe that authenticity is still there. And we want to promote the culture. We want to promote the brand more than anything and what the brand stands for. I think for all the entrepreneurs that are listening, we need more. We need more people to take the step and to be bold and be brave and do it. If we can do it, they can do it. At least I've heard that all my life in listening to all sorts of, you know, (laughs) random like self-help and motivational whatever and reading autobiographies of successful CEOs and businessmen. And the same thing, hearing it in business school, you just have to do it. You can't let anyone get in your way. You can't let anyone stop you. You can't take no for an answer. Young, I think you've mentioned and touched on kind of like your experience growing up in Minnesota and being not as close with Taiwan, but since Asha Noodle, how has your work impacted your relationship with Taiwan? I mean, obviously it's gotten much closer and the relationship with Taiwan 
maybe was always kind of arm's length before, which is, oh, you know, it's just a product is made there. But, you know, because of work, I mean, pre-pandemic, I was going back to Taiwan probably once every two months to meet with my team, to go to the factory. So the, the relationship with Taiwan has gotten way more intimate than it was before. And I think even in certain instances, it would probably be equal to my relationship with the U.S., right? The more I learned and the more I saw, it kind of goes back to what I said in the, in the very beginning, which is that Taiwan has so much to offer and there are so many great products from Taiwan. But Taiwan, I think businesses are really bad at promoting and highlighting and marketing all the good parts about the Taiwanese products. And I mean, I, for one, like would love to get involved with more Taiwanese products and more Taiwanese culture to be able to bring more of it into the world, into more of an international stage, because I just feel like it's such a pity, right? Like what really is Taiwanese cuisine, right? So we want to be, if anything, if Asha can be the flag that says this is Taiwanese cuisine. You know, at least we have one thing that we can say is from Taiwan since 1977, 100-year-old recipe, Taiwanese through and through. This is Taiwanese cuisine. And we know that there's actually big responsibility with that. You know, the relationship, as I mentioned, with Taiwan is is deep. And it's, it's only getting better because I don't think Taiwanese ever stopped. Taiwanese have always had fighting spirit and always an innovative spirit and always trying to do things better. I would love to be a bigger part of that picture to bring more products, culture, everything from Taiwan over into the international space. And that was an incredible journey of how Young and Asha Noodles made Gan Mian, the newest home cook staple in the U.S. You can purchase and support Asha in so many ways. You can purchase noodles from their website at ashadrynoodle.com. Amazon, or your local Costco, Walmart, H-Mart, Target, the list goes on. And don't forget to tell us which Asha noodles is your fave. Until next time, Taiwan, Taiwan Jai 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 Jai. Jai. <laughs>